Hello and welcome to the Friday, November 6, 2020. Alleluia, it's almost over, or is <laughs> it? Edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the election and what's ahead. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. The big story this week, of course, was the election. There were some results. We may or may not know who our next president will be um, for months. Who knows? But in Iowa, we got the county done, except for the too close to call second district race, where the lead now has flipped to Rita Hart over Marionette Miller-Meeks. So, Todd, uh, as you look at the results, what's the big story, the big takeaway from Tuesday? Well, I think it's clear the big story you know, in Iowa is that Republicans did very well, uh, better than expected, or at least, you know, far better than what Democrats were hoping. You know, they, they took a beating in 2016, bounced back a little bit in 2018. I think they were hoping to sort of make enough gains that this would become sort of a purple swing state that it used to be. But uh, they lost the big prize, the Senate race, and they thought they could knock off Joni Ernst, but that didn't happen. Uh, they, they thought that they could maybe take control of the Iowa House. Instead, the Republican majority is even larger, and the Democrats lost seats. Uh, they didn't dent the Senate, and they you know lost incumbent Abby Finkenauer, lost her, her congressional seat. And yeah, and Rita Hart running to take over Dave Loebsack's seat, a Democratic seat. That's still up in the air. Hart leading slightly, but uh, very slightly. So... Uh, it was a good night for Republicans. Democrats are disappointed and sort of looking at the, the, the ruby red map, wondering where they go from here. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Abby Finkenauer lost her uh, U.S. House seat, which uh, I think was a surprise. We expected that to be competitive. Um, I was struck there that by the turnout numbers, which you would expect to be higher in a presidential election um and thinking i think the turnout was like 24 percent higher than two years ago and finkenauer increased her vote total by 18 percent but abby or i mean ashley hinson uh increased the republican votes by almost 38 percent so it was a, a real swing there in that first district um and and i think one of the keys was that hinson was able to keep it close close enough in Lynn County, and she won like 49% of the vote in Dubuque County, which we used to call a Democratic stronghold. I'm not sure what's happening there, but uh, yeah. Um, And and Amy, I I know you were watching those first results, and uh, any thoughts on why, how or why Hinson was able to make it uh, closer in the cities? You hit on it. It's Dubuque County. Um, If you're looking at 2018, um, that was the reason that Finkenauer won over Blum. She was able to post bigger gains in Dubuque County. Um, and this year, Dubuque didn't even go for um, the Democratic presidential candidate. Um, they barely went for Finkenauer, which tells me that there were actually some split votes that voted um, Biden 
or, or, or voted voted Trump, but then also voted Finkenauer. So so, but not not enough. Like it was like I'm looking at the Secretary of State's website. It's a differential of not even 300 votes in Dubuque County, and that was really what she needed. If she had taken Dubuque County um, by a lot, and then um, not taken um, too many more votes off of the uh, smaller counties, um, I think she could have pulled off a win. But as it stands, Hinson really was dominant in all of the counties that um, weren't named Blackhawk, Lynn, and, and, and Dubuque. So, I mean, basically, Hinson was making these margins in these smaller counties. And um, I, I think was sort of riding on, as you said, that um, overwhelming Republican push to the polls um, that really propelled her to victory. Moving to uh, from Dubuque to Cedar Rapids was not a strategic move for uh, uh, Finkenauer, I guess. Apparently not, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom, uh, I think there was a similar thing happened in the 2nd District with Miller Meeks significantly increasing vote Republican votes in those rural counties um, to keep it, you know, if she lost in Johnson County by what, like two to one, which is expected for any uh, Republican. Um, but that race isn't over. Um, new development this morning or late last night. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, we, we did have some news uh, on that front this morning. Um, Democrat Rita Hart has now overtaken Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks in, in unofficial results posted to the Iowa Secretary of State's um, website. Um, with uh, one precinct uh, in the district, uh, I guess, rerunning its, its absentee ballots today after um, local election officials noticed a, a discrepancy. So, yeah, the, the Secretary of State's website today um, shows uh, Rita Hart um, leading Marionette Miller-Meeks um, by 162 votes. So, I mean, it, it's still super close, um, razor thin. Um, that's a flip from, from yesterday on Thursday. Uh, Miller-Meeks uh, held a 282-vote um, lead out of about uh, 394,000 votes um, cast uh, in that race, but um, yeah, you're 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 right. We we saw um, similarities um, in the second district race that, that was seen um, in the first district race. Uh, Miller Meeks, you know, ran up the score in in, in rural counties, flipping counties um, that that voted for for President Donald Trump, but backed the current seven-term Democratic incumbent um, Dave Loebsack in in 2016, uh, who's retiring. Um, and, and cutting into to Hart's margin of victory in, um, in, in the three large, traditionally kind of Democratic counties that, that she won, of Scott Clinton and Johnson. Um, while Rita Hart took about 70% of the vote in heavily Democratic Johnson County, um, Miller Meeks actually outperforms the presidents um, in that county um, by a few points. And this is one of 31 uh, House districts that, that Trump won in 2016 that is, is represented by a Democrat in, in 2020. And five of the seven counties that voted for Trump but backed Loebsack in, in 2016, it looks like, um, swung for Miller-Meeks, according to uh, to unofficial results. And uh, the, the president drove turnout in Iowa, according to the, to the Iowa Secretary of State. Um, it seems like that lifted Republicans up uh, across the board, down ballot in kind of this um, Red wave where, um, where where the GOP unseated a first term Iowa Democratic Congresswoman, and depending on how things go in the second district race, you know Republicans could gain a, a three to one majority in Iowa's four congressional seats, 
And also, you know, of course, they increased their advantage in, in, in the Iowa legislature and then, uh, you know, reelected Republican Joni Ernst to the Senate. Aaron, um, we didn't see quite the same thing happen in the third district where uh, uh, David Young couldn't get enough votes in those rural counties to offset Representative Cindy Axney's margin in Polk County. I, I Gathering that wasn't a surprise in that race. Um, it, 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 no, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a surprise. It, it turned out similar. Maybe just the, the, the noteworthy thing is that uh, uh, David Young made that outcome just a hair closer. Um, it was a two-point win uh, for Cindy Axney uh, two years ago, and it was uh, just a little over a one-point win um, this year. So David Young did kind of tighten things up a little bit and, and, and got a little closer, but ultimately um, Axney, again, just held on and in, in, in a similar method by driving up the, her margins in, in Polk County and doing just enough in the other counties uh, to hang on and avoid being overtaken there by David Young. So, so, so yeah, very, very similar. The campaign was very similar. We basically had a, a repeat uh, debate um, uh, cycle and issue discussion in, in, in the campaign. And, and ultimately the results were, were very similar to two years ago. Mm-hmm. And Brad over in the fourth district, um, I guess there was no surprise. State Senator Randy Feenstra captured something like 62% of the vote, which I think puts him in, you know, in, in league with Senator Chuck Grassley. Um, was this the same old, same old for the fourth or was there any good news for Democrats? Boy, I, I don't see any really good news for Democrats. Um, that was back to a margin like Steve King used to have in the old fifth back in the 2000s and, and early uh, 2010s when he was winning a lot of seats and before things kind of tightened the last few election cycles. But um, no, uh, so J.D. Shulton was the Democrat from Sioux City who lost um, to Randy Feinster, the state senator from Hull. And um, two years ago, he uh, Shulton lost to King by only 3%. It was about 10,000 votes differential. And um, in that election, uh, Shulton won six of the 39 counties, you know, which is not a lot of counties to win, but they were the higher, it was the five highest population counties um, in the fourth districts. And this time he won simply one, which was Story County, which is, you know, home, home to Ames and Iowa State University. So, um, so he was you know, pretty much wiped out, you know, district wide there. And when I talked to him on, um, I guess it was about 1130 on Tuesday night, election night, he was very astonished. He was, you know, he said he felt good going into Monday and, you know, was had campaigned hard and he, he had visited, he really had campaigned hard. He did a lot of public events and, and, you know, went through all the towns and he just got swamped and he said, you know, I just, the places I won last or the, you know, the places I did strongly last time, I, you know, just, just fell off the map. And, and so it was you know definitely a, a Republican, um, wave and you know as you would expect the the tip-top northwest counties like Lyon and Sioux it was just astronomically high votes for Randy Feenstra up you know which is pretty much where he you know his state senate district is up there and sure uh, yeah just just not good news well I think it, it just drives home the fact too that uh, the 2018 race was a referendum on Steve King yeah, uh, yeah. and even though Steve King won uh, there was a lot of dissatisfaction, even among Republicans with him, that 
this year with a different Republican, they they those folks came home, I guess, for Randy Feenstra. Uh, right. There was I mean, there was all kinds of speculation, James, as you know, that, you know, basically once the primary went to Feenstra, that, that you know, that the race was over, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Um, Northwest Iowa seems to be sort of like Johnson County is for Democrats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, J.D. Shulton posted a, 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 on Twitter a, a sort of an interesting tweet about how he would like to shape the Democratic Party. Um, should we read anything into that, Brett? I don't know. Perhaps. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he's been very, he, um, he relished the fact that he um, was spoken in a way that a lot of Democrats don't speak like on the, like he, he didn't want to be a top down, you know, what, what the national party wanted him to do, you know, national leaders wanted him to do. He, you know, and working this district, you, you have to be a moderate Democrat. That's the only way you, you, you can make inroads. But he, you know, he talked about basically pocketbook or, you know, um, you know, individual family type issues and that were, you know, he, that would resonate and, he has a lot of problems with with how you know some of these top down race you know how the how they want to just spend money and you know whatever you know the the messaging he wanted to be his own candidate and i think there was a there was an authenticity there that a lot of you know certainly for democrats they like that and um, you know i could i could see him taking another step as a candidate again well we'll keep an eye on him and we'll also keep an eye on the Iowa legislature, where the Republican trifecta continues, actually grew, as Aaron mentioned. Um, so what do we know about uh, Iowa Republicans and what they um, are going to do now that they've maintained control in the Iowa House? Democrats thought they had a real shot at flipping control. They needed four seats. Uh, instead, they lost seats. Um, Republicans increased their advantage from 53-47 to 59-41, which is the largest margin in at least 10 years, um, I think, and perhaps longer. Aaron, um, you wrote about the legislative results. Any, any thoughts on what happened uh, to Democrats? I think there's a couple of things that went on here. Um, one is just the turnout machine, I think, uh, lifted all Republican votes in Iowa. So we talked, and you talked about uh, turnout, James, in the first district, and, and it was way up in the Senate race. It was way up in the presidential race. And, and I think um, um, that helped Republicans all the way down the ballot. Um, and and then I think there's there's some there's some discussion taking place and, and we actually touched on this in podcast before the election too. So, so this should come as no surprise to uh, our loyal listeners here, but um, Democrats didn't uh, go out and knock on doors as much during this summer, during the pandemic as Republicans did Republicans right, felt right. to do that safely. Um, and they, and they went out and, and did that and, Repu and Democrats were more hesitant to do that and, and didn't do that until late. Um, and there's a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle who feel that made a huge difference in this, um, especially these state house races, uh, some of which were only decided by, you know, a couple hundred votes or so. Um, so I think those are the two things that, uh, 
look, look, Democrats um, had very real hopes and they were legitimate. I mean, they weren't pie in the sky dreams. They, you looked at it analytically and they were reasons to believe that Democrats could have flipped some of those seats and flipped control of the chamber, but, but the exact opposite happened. Um, and it was basically, um, you know, a best case scenario for, for type of uh, performance for, for Republicans. They really, they really cleaned up. So, I mean, Republicans won in places they typically don't. Southern Lee County, for example, is one of the seats they picked up. They flipped there. Um, they held on to a Des Moines County uh, seat that they flipped four years ago. Uh, and, and they even won back some su- suburban seats. And I think one of those was sort of in your backyard, uh, Aaron uh, Heather Manson, uh, who won two years ago, defeated a Republican two years ago, lost her election. Were there specific issues there or was it just the, I guess, the Trump turnout? Yeah, I think there might have been a little bit of both, uh, depending on the different types of seats you just described, uh, those southeast Iowa ones, um, southern Iowa. uh, I was talking to Pat Grassley this week and he noted those and he said that those were the kind of seats that maybe the top of the ticket presented an opening for Republican state house candidates there because Donald Trump is has flipped those that's in the uh, the Obama Trump uh, territory, uh, those counties. And so so voters behaviors have changed in those areas at the top of the ticket. And, and, and Pat Grassley said that 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 probably gave our candidates down the ticket in an opening there that these Republicans are more open to listening to Republican at the top of the ticket. Maybe they're now more open to listening to Republicans at the state house level, too. Um, and then the suburban seats, I think that's where you saw. Uh, the door knocking really, really come into role, and 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 there were some local issues too. Um, look, I, I can't verify this. Uh, um, it, it's such a tough thing to do, and I, I don't think we have exit polling at the state house level uh, to, to look at. Um, but but I have heard a couple people tell me that, um, and and I know all about this. I could spend a whole podcast talking about this issue um, as a resident of Ankeny and, and a and a parent uh, with a, with my uh, daughter in the school district, um, that that the whole back to school um, plan here in Ankeny has been a very contentious uh, thing, and um, it, it it sounds like maybe that issue seeped into that state house race, and, and Republicans feel like that's why they were um, successful in Ankeny specifically um, was that they sided with uh, the the Republican uh, candidates sided with the parents who. Uh, are upset with the school district for not going back um, to full in-person learning. Um, as of right now, uh, the K-5 kids are all back, but the, the older kids are staggered um, kind of in a hybrid uh, mode. So so it's so it's possible, uh, apparently, that uh, a local issue played a, a factor in that race as well. Yeah, another race that we uh, were keeping an eye on was up in House 55, where Michael Bergen was running for re-election and Democrat Kayla Cater had who challenged him two years ago and lost when mail-in late arriving mail-in ballots uh, were tossed out. We looked like she would uh, have a good shot of winning that race. And yet she lost by, I, I think it was around 1400 votes. Uh, and, and what I'm hurt, what I've heard from folks up there is that when Decorah um, uh, approved a mask mandate, that that became an issue in that race and, and hurt uh, Cater's chances of, of winning 
uh, a seat in the Iowa House. So, um, you know, Tom, we talked earlier about some uh, Quad City Republicans who were thought to be at risk, uh, but no one was thrown out by the voters. Um, were they? I think all the Republicans were reelected, and I don't think there were any changes at all, were there? No, um, I, no, I, I, you're right. Yeah. Um, so uh, Republicans dashed Democrats' efforts to flip two Scott County seats in their attempt to try and regain a majority of the Iowa House. Um, so Republican incumbent Ross Postrin of Walcott held on to his Iowa House District 92 seat against a challenge from first-time candidate and Democrat Jennifer Caker to Bluegrass. And uh, Republican incumbent Gary Moore of Bettendorf retained his um, Iowa House District 94 seat, defeating um, Democrat um, Marie Gleason of Pleasant Valley. Both won, I believe, according to unofficial results, by, I think, double-digit margins of uh, 11 or 12 percentage points. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, Brett, uh, I take it there were no surprises over there in, in your territory? Right. Um, right. Um, the... In the rural, there were there were a lot of um, Republicans who were running um, without any opposition whatsoever in uh, in the kind of the hinterlands, and um, but then there was a few competitive races where there I think there was four where a Democrat opposed a Republican and uh, Republicans won all those, um, but in Sioux City and then there was no surprise in Sioux City, which was um, um, the two Democratic leaning. Um, districts within the city went for Democrats. Um, Chris Hall won re-election. And then um, Steve Hansen, who some people would remember, who was a legislator for about 18 years back in the 80s and 90s, um, he uh, has come back and won to, to go back into one of the chambers. And I, I did want to bring up, James, um, how I was struck. Um, we were talking a little bit at the beginning about whether, you know, I was... Um, no longer purple. I absolutely Woodbury County is no longer purple. That that's been going for a few election cycles in the same way that I that I believe that Iowa is not purple. Looking at things, um, so those two House districts that I mentioned, where the Democrats won um, uh, in Sioux City within Woodbury County, um, that's expected. But the, the larger lesson was that we had Woodbury County supervisor positions that were up, and in every case, and there were some pretty competitive Democrats that were running. In, in three of those. And in every case, the Republicans won. The, the difference is that the Woodbury County, um, those positions are, are voted on countywide, regardless, they're districted, but all county voters can, can vote. And that just shows how Republicans are in Woodbury County are, are taking over um, just, it's the last six, eight, four years. It's, that's just kind of been the trend. And I wanted to throw out this kind of the genie demographic. I know this is on Iowa politics, but we also cover South Dakota. And um, in, and we have a few districts in Southeast South Dakota that I cover. And when I started um, Vermilion, uh, which is home to the University of South Dakota, about 30 miles from Sioux City, was always heavily Democratic. And um, there always would be any, any the state house uh, districts would always go to a Democrat. And that has flipped also, Yankton, about 60 miles from Sioux City, um, that was always very like a union town, very Democratic, also now Republican. So really um, just, you know, not just Iowa, but kind of seeping over what we consider Siouxland into, you know, the other states also becoming more, more and more Republican. Mm -hmm. Across the Midwest, yeah. Uh, 
On the campaign trail, uh, I heard Senator Chuck Grassley more than once talking about um, electing Republicans to the state house to make sure that uh, Democrats couldn't do to Governor Kim Reynolds what Pelosi and House Democrats are doing to uh, President Donald Trump. Um, so, Todd, what should we expect from the legislature with a, a bigger GOP trifecta? Well, it's you know it's it's a good question. I mean the 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 public campaigns that ran this fall were pretty substance free. Uh, at least in our neck of the woods, Republican candidates didn't go to forums or editorial boards or places where they could be sort of asked what their agenda was going to be or, you know, ask some specifics on what their plans are. So it's, you know, it's anyone's guess. We know there will be surprises that sort of come from, you know, come from the conservative playbook that pages that we hadn't yet flipped. <laughs> and uh, I think there's going to be, you know, an appetite for more tax cuts depending on how the coronavirus economy works out. And I mean, with regard to the, with the pandemic, uh, you know, the governor is saying that the, the election is a vindication of her approach to uh, controlling or I guess not controlling the pandemic. So I don't expect that the legislature is gonna come back and, and push her to change, uh, change policies or do more no matter how bad it gets this winter. They're sort of committed to the live with it or, or in some cases die with it. And that's, that's where we're going to stay. So, yeah, it's anyone's guess. There are lots of issues to address, uh, conservative issues, as I say, tax cuts. The governor wants to, to bring back up her plan to raise the sales tax and provide mental health money and fill the environmental trust fund. But uh, that didn't get a lot of traction last session, and I'm not sure with more Republicans that makes it easier. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of a lot of guessing what they're going to do because they have a history of sort of putting stuff together and then and then springing it on us. You know, I'm wondering if we're entering sort of another uh, era of uh, Republican control where the governor, Republican governor, and the Republican legislator legislature uh, are at odds to some degree. I mean, you mentioned the sales raising the sales tax for mental health funding and, and outdoor recreation and water quality. Um, the governor wants a constitutional amendment to restore felon voting rights. There was sort of mixed uh, support from Republicans on that. Um, I mean, we tend to think that when you have, uh, you know, a trifecta, when one party control, they get everything they want, but it, it looks like that may not be the case. Well, and big, big majorities, are harder to manage for leadership than small majorities. If you've only got 51 seats, then you need to have discipline. Everybody needs to be on board. You all need to be together. Now with 59 seats, you, you know there's a there's a chance you're going to have some some folks, you know, kind of uh, buck the team and want to do their own thing. And it's yeah, sometimes those can be more unwieldy. But uh, as we've seen in recent years, they've they've basically pushed ahead with their agenda and uh, haven't let anything slow them down. Yeah, I guess we'll start, we'll find out in January. Uh, Aaron, uh, as we've seen from the maps uh, since Tuesday, uh, there was a real urban-rural divide in the way Iowans voted. And I think as we've watched this develop over at least the past 10 years, 
Um, we've tended to think that that would favor cities, that they would have a stronger voice in, in Iowa politics. And, and maybe when we get the new census numbers, that will be the case. Um, however, based on the results of this election and seeing the Republican control, especially from the rural areas, will the next two years be the last best opportunity for rural interest, agribusiness, manufacturing, small towns to get their wishes, to get whatever agenda they have through the legislature? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so much of it depends on on those maps and and, and what uh, elections are going to look like and districts are going to look like for the uh, next 10 years. Um, uh, so maybe they, they will feel a little bit of that uh, um, urgency um, just because of the unknown. Um, now, we shouldn't expect anything too out of the uh, crazy because of Iowa's um, redistricting system, which is hailed pretty wild, widely as being uh, nonpartisan. Um, of course, that's assuming that no changes come to that system <laughs> over the next uh, a few months, but the Republicans insist that's not in, in their plan. So uh, um, we'll have to take them at their word and, until the, the rubber starts hitting the road here again in January. Um so, so I don't know that uh, anything, any changes of the map will be too dramatic as far as what it means um, for Iowa policy of, of really any kind um, going forward. I think just the bigger issue there is Democrats just clearly still have some work to do to figure out how to get their map expanded beyond six uh, to eight counties um, in Iowa. Um, th th that's clearly not a... Uh, winning formula uh, on a statewide level, um, and um, and and that's something. And look, this didn't sneak up on them. Uh, we've been talking about that for a few cycles now. Um, the shrinking uh, map, the increasing urban-rural divide, um, and and how that has hindered uh, Democrats, Iowa Democrats' efforts statewide in these races. So so this isn't something that all of a sudden hit them in this election, and, and they weren't ready for. It. Uh, this is something that we've been talking about. This is something that Democrats have been talking about. Um, and, and and so far, nothing is changing. And this kind of gets circles all the way back to um, what Brett was talking about earlier with J.D. Scholten and um, uh, whatever step he decides to take next, I'm sure he has some thoughts on what that discussion uh, needs to, to sound like. Um, so so that, that's what's most interesting to me is, is kind of where do Democrats go from here and, and how do they um, manage um, uh, um, doing better in these statewide races outside of um, their their biggest base area because obviously the, the strategy can no longer be to just drive up the vote totals in Des Moines and Ames and Waterloo and uh, and and um, Iowa City and Davenport. They, they need more votes in those other areas too. So we've talked about the, the heavy Republican turnout in rural Iowa, the urban-rural divide, and the GOP trifecta. But is any of that permanent? Amy, what does this election um, tell us about election 2022 or election 2024? Yeah, I, I think Aaron hit it on the head. You know, he's talking about that rural-urban divide that's frankly been happening for decades. Um, you know, that sort of brain drain, they used to call it, and, and now it's the rural-urban divide. You're seeing young people moving to urban areas, and, and young people generally do 
vote more progressive if they vote at all. Um, Next Gen made a huge uh, get out the vote effort in this area, and it still only really moved the needle, I believe, like a percent. You know, so I think maybe getting the young vote out more would be helpful if they can figure out how to do it. Um, but I think you're right. Um, just not only figuring out a message that resonates with rural voters better, um, but sort of figuring out that messaging within the party as a whole, because this isn't um, just an Iowa phenomenon. This is happening around the country. Um, you're seeing um, the urban areas become more heavily democratic. You're seeing the rural areas become more heavily Republican and a messaging thing needs to happen. And whether that's just making more appeals to people, whether that's putting somebody different at the top of the ticket, um, or whether that's um, trying to run a, a candidate that is a more populist candidate, like a Bernie Sanders, like the Republicans have been running a populist candidate in Trump, um, possibly that, and those discussions have happened within the National Democratic Party, um, you know, but there's such a sense of if we run somebody like that, it could backfire and, you know, we could, you know, have another thing. But I think they're really going to be taking a look at it this election because Biden was not inspiring the enthusiasm, um, just as sort of Clinton wasn't inspiring the enthusiasm. Um, is it a messaging problem? Is it a candidate problem? You're really going to see a lot of hand wringing, I think, over the next couple of months and years about that. And and I think even more than that, really a, a clash in the Democratic Party. Aaron, um, in 2022, of course, there will be a governor's uh, race and, uh, you know, uh, Governor Reynolds said that this election sort of uh, was an affirmation of her uh, strategy on coronavirus and um, Hopefully we won't be debating coronavirus strategies in two years. But, you know, does this direct, does this election give us any direction for 2022 start to set, set that stage? I, I, I think that's an open question. And, and my gut tells me that we're going to look back on this election as as being somewhat unique. Um, I don't know that we can look at what happened in 2020 um, and say with any certainty that a similar similar trends are going to continue into uh, certainly 2022 in a midterm election and maybe not even 2024 in the next presidential election. This was just such a unique election for so many reasons between um, the, the polarizing uh, incumbent president at the top of the ticket, um, the pandemic, and, and and all the unique elements that that brought in. Um, I, I mean, a Donald Trump versus Joe Biden is just going to be so different than whatever the the, the election is four years from now. Um, I think uh, that I mean, I'm, I, and I and I don't think we ignore what happened now. I, I, We'll all analyze what happened and political science experts will do the same and, and we'll talk to voters. And um, But I don't think that this election is going to be predictive in, in too many ways of what's going to happen two and four years from now. I think those are going to be totally different elections with total different issues um, at the forefront. And, and, and I think we'll have to be careful about... Uh, looking back too much, you know, when we get around to the next election and say, well, this is what happened in 2020. So um, I, I just don't know that that that's going to apply the way maybe 
has been a more traditionally the case as, as we look at previous elections as a, as a way to inform future ones. Brett, uh, Tom, thoughts on, on whether or not the this, like I said, sets the stage for 2022 and 2024? Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I think Aaron uh, nailed it. I, I think it's it, it's an open question, um, and you know I, I think that um, when all is said and done, we'll probably look back on on, on 2020 and 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 see this as. Um, kind of unique. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what this portends for, for um, 2022 or 2024. I want to, I want to bring up a name, I guess, James. <clears throat> um, and I, I think I mentioned this in June, right before the um, primary for the Democratic uh, uh, candidates for the U.S. Senate seat, where Teresa Greenfield ultimately won. And Teresa Greenfield had been um, coronated, I guess is the word sometimes that is used, but she had been picked early on by the, the national party leaders. And I, and I keep wondering if for 2022, Mike Franken was a um, uh, Democrat from Sioux city who came late in that race uh, in 2019. And I, I kept watching the, the Ernst and Greenfield um, campaign play out the last few months and just saw the, the slew of ads. And it was so much about, um, from the Republican side or the yeah Republican side that you know, what what Greenfield would do with the Green New Deal and just it was a lot of just a lot of that but I, I just wondered what how Mike Franken who would who had Sioux County roots and this goes back to what we were talking about of a new type of Democrat or a new type of Democratic messaging um, I think that Mike Franken has that he he came from Sioux County <clears throat> I would think certainly would be considered a moderate Democrat. But he did not win that that primary. But he is the type of candidate. The things that he talked about, he seems to be one that could could um, get inroads in these rural areas. I, I think back to when um, was it? Who is he from Charles City? Is it Pritchard? Ran yeah, for, Pritchard. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking yeah. to him about how yeah, because like he was you know he's he's the rare non polk or you know, like um, or Lynn County kind of federal, uh, statewide office seeker. And he, he talked about how, you know, he's from a town of like, you know, a county seat town of like seven, eight, 10,000. They need to do better with that. And anyway, I'm just keep thinking about those candidates, the messages that they have and you know, what, where, where they might go in 2022. Sure. As, as Democrats try to try to bounce back. Todd, uh, bring it home for us here. Uh, what's your prediction for 2022, 2024, um, we already have seen some of the, the 2024 uh, Republicans coming in or either in person or virtually to support Republican candidates this cycle. Um, what should we look for? Yeah, well, all I know for sure is there definitely will be elections. Those are even numbered <laughs> years. And so that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Not if Trump wins. Well, you know, that's yeah, that's looking less likely. But yeah, that's that's a good caveat. Uh, you know, the governor's races are kind of funny, and this kind of lends into what uh, Aaron and others have said about, you know, not reading into too much too much into this year, looking at 2022. Uh, I mean, you know, Kentucky has a Democratic governor, for instance. There are just these, they, it just seems like the, you know, other issues with governors come up besides the sort of the partisan label. There's, I think, you know, constituents, Iowans will, you know, have 
a lot on their mind as far as performance, how she's done, where the state is in two years. I think the coronavirus handling, which is going to last well into next year, probably still be a concern as Democrats start to, you know, jockey and raise money and, and, and you know, get out trial balloons for, for possibly running. Uh, it'll still be an issue. So, yeah, I expect that to be an interesting and potentially competitive race. I, I have no idea which Democrats are going to step out to do that. I mean, there's all sorts of speculation on, you know, is Rob Sand priming himself to run for higher offices at the governorship or the Senate or one of those other, you know, or some other office. But, uh, yeah, and presidential-wise, it'll be, you know, I, there are going to be folks that try to, will probably encourage you know, Joni Ernst to think about that, which would be obviously an interesting wrinkle in the in Iowa and in the caucuses, if she were to think about that. She was she was on the short list for Trump's running mates at one point, and so that's you know, it's a, it's a, I mean, everybody in the Senate gets to pretend to be a presidential candidate at one point and the other. I think so. I mean, that's that's a that's pretty well given. I, I think it literally every Senate Democrat ran in this past cycle, right? That, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> So it will be the Republicans' turn. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> if any of that happens, or even if it doesn't, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. But that's it for today. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend. Otherwise, be quiet. Um, you can subscribe to uh, On Iowa Politics on iTunes or Stitcher and send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Stephen Christopher will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Brett, Amy, Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. I lost my job And I lost my girl And so much more Same old country song It seems you've heard A million times before But this one's different about this ordinary man trying to be a better me cause I'm holding on to a better view I'm rolling with so much in front of me I gotta do and I'm holding on to a place I call my own and I'm
To a place I call my own 